0: I invite you for the last time in this series, if you would, please turn uh, to the book of Romans or turn on the book of Romans to chapter 16, uh, the very last chapter. We have been over a year on this journey through Paul's magnum opus or his, his treaty, his life's masterpiece work um, on the, the, the power and the majesty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if you would, would you look with me at verse number 19? If you're there, say, I am. I am. I am, okay. Or you can follow along on the screen as well. It says in the beginning of verse number 19, it says, The report of your obedience has reached everyone. Therefore, I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise about what is good and yet innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Can somebody say amen? Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Timothy, my coworker, and Lucius, Jason, Sosipater, my fellow countrymen, they greet you. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quartus, greet you. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel. And the proclamation about Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery. That was kept silent for long ages. But now revealed and made known through the prophetic scriptures. According to the command of the eternal God. Advance. Uh, God to advance the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles. In verse 27. To the only wise God through Jesus Christ. To him be the what Church. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Holy Spirit, I pray this morning that you would speak to us from this word. Lord, we have now read every single word, every jot, every tittle, every period, every comma, every word of this beautiful book of Romans. And I pray, Lord, that as a church we have been edified by it. But most importantly, Lord God, I pray that you have been glorified in it. And that we have seen evidence of your glory upon our church and upon our spirit, Lord, upon our, how it affects the way we look at the world and how, the way that we look at you. I pray this morning that as we close this out, Father, that you would let it just reverberate in our hearts for, for years and decades to come. Thank you for your word. And thank you for how complete it is and how thorough it is. And what a blessing it is to us now. Help us to learn and to feast. This morning, upon what you have for us, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right. so before we get into the message, before we dive into the message this morning, I want to just take a moment and bask in the glory, and bask in the pride that comes from knowing that we did it, right? We made it, we just read the last words of the book of Romans, which means that we have arrived at the end. Give yourself a pat on the back, go ahead and do it, give yourself a pat on the back, Pat the person next to you if they'll let you, all right? And uh, I'll just, that just got weird, didn't it? Um, so uh, <laughs> hopefully you're not sitting by a, a stranger or a guest today. That would be weird, all right? Um, but anyway, this journey started the first Sunday of September in 2021. Here we are on the last Sunday in September in 2022. And outside of a break during Easter and during Christmas, we have been in this book, hunkered down in this book of Romans. And uh, if you've been here for the whole thing, the whole thing, all right? Would you just raise your hand? All right, you all get an Awana gold star or, or whatever it is that you, that, that you get for completing, for completing that as well. All right, I commend you. See, what we've done, most church growth gurus and experts will tell you that if you're gonna preach a series or if you're gonna go through a book of the Bible or something like that, that you really only need to have series that go for... Uh, weeks long, six at the max, because people's attention span and their, uh, their, their commitment to being able to be there to complete something, uh, we overshot that by 30. Okay, we overshot what the experts say to do by 30, so na 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 boo boo Anyway, uh, that's just the way I feel like it, okay? Um, but uh, we overshot that by about 30, and so we defied everything the experts say to do. We've hit just about every uncomfortable topic that you can possibly think of as we've moved through this book as well, haven't we? We talked about total depravity. We talked about God's wrath, predestination, homosexuality, the exclusivity of Christ. We talked about modern-day Palestinian politics. We talked about how we should feel about people on the opposite side of our own politics. We talked about drinking alcohol. We talked about going to movies. We said circumcision like 53 times, if that's not uncomfortable enough, right? And you're still here. You, st- you made it through all of that. So turn to your neighbor and say, I am so thoroughly impressed with you. You are a serious Christian. You are a serious follower of God, right? But all joking aside, if you've been here for the whole series, you will know well what the subject of the book is. So help me out. After 36 message, what is the overall subject of the, of the book of Romans. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Two people have gotten that. All right. Do we need to start all over again at at chapter one next week? Because I'll do it. Don't make me do it. All right. Um, No, the subject, the main subject of the entire book of Romans is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And how it invades and pervades everything. And it should be the foundation on which we build our life. Paul's been showing us that the gospel is all we need to live the life that God has made made for us and has prepared for us. It's not just powerful to change us, but it's also powerful to change the world. And it explains everything that God wants us to know. Because the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ, that when I could not go... To where he was, he came to me. Just like that old song says. So the key verse of the entire book of Romans, all the way back in chapter 1, verse number 16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? Because it is the power of God unto salvation. Right? For everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then also to the Greek and to the Gentile. You could say that that verse right there is like the cliff note version. It's like, it's the the whole gospel, or it's the whole book of Romans just collided down into one verse. It's the cliff notes version of the entire letter. For 16 chapters, Paul has explained the power of the gospel, the necessity of the gospel, and the reach of the gospel. In chapter 1, we learned what? We learned that we're all a complete wreck and mess in our sins right? We are all completely broken and we're a wreck. In chapter two, we learn that religion and our best efforts is not going to pull us out of that wreck and it's never going to save us. In chapter three, we learned that we cannot get to God on our own, but God made a way through Jesus and God came to us. This, by the way, is what separates Christianity from all other religion and all other philosophy that the world possesses today. Only in Christianity do you find that God came to man. In every other religion, Man has to reach God by some form or fashion. Only in Christianity do you find we had no ability to do that, so God did it for us. Chapters 4, 5, and 6, we see that we've been made righteous by faith and we have peace with God since God has made us righteous. In chapter 7, we saw that we still have an ongoing battle with flesh and sin after we still come to him. And that there are temptations and that there are things that we must avoid as we walk with the Lord. And not only must we avoid it, but he gives us the power and the ability to do that. We saw in chapter 7, it's not a sin to be tempted. It's a sin that when we give in to that. It's a sin when we don't grasp hold of the power that we're given to say no. And we go ahead and do it anyway. Chapter 8, we celebrate that there is now no condemnation on those who are in Christ Jesus. I mean, the freedom that we have in that right there, there is no condemnation upon us. I like to self-condemn myself a lot of times and people will condemn you. And we see a lot of condemning messages and all kinds of things. But know this, in Christ there is no condemnation. Chapter 9 through 11, we saw God who is eager to save us all. And he works mysteriously yet mercifully to that end to save us if we'll come to him. Chapter 12 is the hinge of the entire book, right? That the gospel must not only change my eternal destination, but it also changes my life here as I work towards eternity. It changes everything about us. Chapter 13 says the gospel gives us a hope that is beyond this life. And to live by a kingdom mindset. In chapter 14, boy, wasn't that a fun one, right? Uh, whew, gives us a motto to live by like this. If I live, I live to the Lord. If I die, I die to the Lord. Either way, I belong to the Lord. And I need to let other people belong to the Lord as well. Chapter 15, we saw that we all have this sacred role to play in carrying out the gospel mission. That we don't just get saved and wait for heaven. But we get saved and we try to take the gospel far and wide. Because there are those who desperately need to hear it. And as we come to chapter 16, it shifts into why the gospel is all that we need. Because it's all that we could ever have. We have nothing without the gospel. The gospel is all that we ever need because the gospel transforms us. And the gospel is the hope of the world. And last week, we looked at Paul's commendation and greetings of the people that he knows in the Roman church, and there was like 27 people that were mentioned, men and women, Jews and Gentiles, black and white, (laughs) kind of, if if you look at it from a political standpoint, liberal and conservative, all of these people were like this melting pot in the body of Christ, and it was a picture of the fact that this is what God intends for the gospel to do. It intends for the gospel to unite all of us different and divided as we may be. Unite us around the main common denominator of all of us. All of us are dead in our trespasses and sins and all of us need a savior. That there's not a person that's more lost than another person. If we're lost, we're lost. That there's not a person that's like, I'm lost but I'm closer to salvation than you are. No, if you have not come to Jesus, you can't find salvation. So we focused on that and now this morning we look at another list of people and these are the people that aren't in Rome. These are the people that are actually in Ephesus where Paul is writing this letter from. It's a smaller list but we see some names in there that show us the same thing that we're going to look at in just a moment too. We see this commendation of people that are with him sending greetings along with Paul to the church at Rome as well. And you know what? I can't help but marvel at this, how the gospel unites all of us. I've had the privilege and the honor of being able to go to a few other countries uh, outside the United States on missions trips. And I've sat in worship services in other parts of the world. And one thing I know that while I may not be understanding all the language that is being spoken, while I may not understand a lot of the things that are taking place, while they may have different aspects in their service that we don't do in, in the United States... There is one common denominator and that we are worshiping the same God and Father and Holy Spirit. And that is what binds us together. So the gospel is beautiful. The gospel is what binds us together. And then we see in this passage, we see this closing doxology, this praise and this admonition of God. Because as Paul is winding down 16 chapters of musing over the gospel, of stressing over the gospel. Remember chapter 9 when he's like, I can't figure all this out. Remember all those things? He's winding down this book. We see that all he's got left to do is just to praise God and say, God, thank you that there's even a gospel to write about. Look what he says again in verse number 27. To the only wise God through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory. That word glory in Greek is doxa. Which means all praise. All honor. All majesty. All loyalty. All servitude. All of it is due to him. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Not just glory for a moment. But glory forever. Here's what the gospel does for us. The gospel places us in a permanent posture of praise. The gospel places us in a permanent posture and praise because this gospel is glorious. And that's the title of the message this morning as we close this out, this whole series, we have a glorious gospel. This glorious gospel I want to look at six things and I promise these are very quick points, they're very self explanatory here in the passage. So we're gonna move through these very quickly. As we close out on this treatise treatise of the gospel of Christ, this must be our central understanding. What we walk away remembering most is that we preach a glorious gospel we've been gloriously saved by a glorious gospel and that this gospel is the key to man's chief end. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, which is an old statement that was written several, several centuries ago, states this, that man's or humanity's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. It goes all the way back through the word of God and sees creation, the point of creation, the point of the gospel, the point of salvation, all of it is so that God could be glorified in us and through us. That's our chief end. Many people walk around today saying, I wonder what the purpose of life is. I wonder what life is all about. Why can't I find fulfillment in life? And many people are saying that right from a church pew every Sunday, because we haven't grasped this, that our chief end, our chief responsibility, our chief fulfillment in life is to bring glory to the one who created us. And this is what we're reminded in the last part of this text. So let's look this morning at six things, six glorious factors about the gospel. Why is the gospel so glorious? Number one, because the gospel gives us a glorious victory. The gospel gives us a glorious victory. In the first portion of chapter 16, we see that Paul is commending some people, uh, all those people that we looked at last week, and he says, you all are awesome. You are following in a true gospel sense. You're following the word of God. And then he says in verse number 17 of, that, of chapter 16, he says, watch out for those who would deter you from a true gospel. Watch out for those who would divide and those who would try to mislead you or try to add to Jesus or take away from Jesus. Because when we begin to do that, we begin to lose our way. See, a gospel that must have something added to Jesus is not the gospel. And the gospel that, that, that demeans Jesus or, or, or demotes Jesus as the only way to heaven is not a gospel either because there's no good news if there's no Jesus. See, the gospel gives us a glorious victory. And Paul says in verse number 19 where we picked up, he said, I commend you and I rejoice in you because you are obedient to the faith. And here's what he says. He describes that, that, that fidelity to the gospel, that fidelity to the truth of Jesus Christ. He says, it's going to be a battle. Because what we know about Satan is what? He's a deceiver. Satan is one who would love to see the church of Jesus Christ destroyed and obliterated. He's not for religious freedom. He's not for gathering of brothers and sisters to be able to praise and, and glorify the Lord. He's definitely not for when the church gathers to pray. Because when the, when the church begins to pray, the gates of hell start to rattle. Okay. He's not for that. And so Paul says this is going to be a battle and it has been a battle for centuries to remain true and faithful to the gospel of Christ. And here's what he says in verse number 20. He says the God of peace will soon do what? Will soon crush Satan under your feet. This is the glorious victory of the gospel that we have, right? That the God of peace is going to crush Satan under your feet. When I read that verse, man, I get jacked up. I get excited, right? Because here's what I think about. I think about, when I was little and I'd, I'd walk out and, and here's the thing. Some of you all, you, you have members of the animal kingdom. Those beautiful members of the animal kingdom which we read about in our opening of worship today in Psalms. There's some members of the animal kingdom that I don't like. And there's some that you don't. Some of you it's snakes. Some of you might be frogs or mice or something like that. For me it's Spiders hate spiders I am completely terrified of spiders all right the most horrific thing I'm still dealing with PTSD from like when I was in middle school because I had to do a bug collection like actually any creepy crawly thing I I hate them I hate bugs all right so what I love to do is if I see a bug I think I'm doing a wonderful work by squashing them right stepping on them and squashing them I've just killed one of God's creatures right I think I'd rather do it and ask forgiveness later than permission before, right? Um, that's what I picture in my mind when I see this verse. The God of Peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Do you know what that says to me? Should I really be afraid of this little spider that's crawling around when I'm six foot, two hundred none of your pound, none of your business pounds, right? I'm not. Should I really be afraid of this little spider? But I am terrified of that right? So what am I going to do? I'm going to use my size. I'm going to use my girth, and I'm going to crush that thing under me. This is what it tells about, as formidable a foe as Satan is, he is not a foe to the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no one that can match the power of Jesus Christ. And he says right here, this is a promise of hope. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. So church, I want to give you an affirmation and a promise from the Lord today that while there may be darkness in the night, joy comes in the morning, and power is always there because we hold the Lord Jesus Christ and he holds us in his hand. The gospel gives us a glorious victory, right? And we'll say it again. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. It's a reminder. This verse is a reminder of a promise that God made all the way back in the Garden of Eden. After Adam and Eve sinned, thanks again Adam and Eve for doing that because it was one man centered in the world and death by sin. We saw that in the book of Romans as well, Right? It brought defeat and death, but here's what this promise tells us. His redemption will bring victory and life. While Adam's sin and Adam and Eve's sin and rebellion would bring sin and death, Jesus Christ's redemption would bring victory and eternal life. Back in Genesis 3, God tells Satan that what he did may have bruised the heel of God, but one day Jesus is going to crush Satan's head right under his feet and under his heel. This is what Satan knows is coming one day for him. He already knows that the final chapter has been written. He's just waiting for it to come to fruition. This is the promise that puts God and Satan in the proper perspective. That all through our broken humanity, we're encouraged to rely on the power and the strength and the victory that is provided to us through God. And the reason that the story of David and Goliath gets so much press in Sunday school and gets so much press uh, all the time throughout Christendom is because we love the story of an underdog, don't we? But can you think about the just unbelievable things that took place? There is no reason, there is no reason that a battle-hardened nine-foot-six-inch man should ever lose to a little boy who didn't even meet the age and, and, the age and height requirements to be able to be in the Israeli army. And not even be taken, he couldn't even hold, David couldn't even hold the sword and the shield of the king to go into battle for the king. He took his sling out and one stone and one sling took down a giant. But we know the rest of the story. It wasn't David's stone and sling. It was the power of God that did that. Because this is the power of our God, that with this great and powerful God, a little shepherd boy can crush a giant under his feet. This is the powerful victory of the gospel as well. When sin was this giant captor, this giant, this giant mortician that held us in death and in captivity, Jesus broke the chains and the bondage of sin and sets us free. See, this is how we apply this to our life. Because of the gospel, we're victorious. We're not waiting for victory, the victory's already won. Romans 8 said, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. It may seem like Satan's winning. He may be presenting himself to you like a towering giant, but the gospel pronounces him a nagging pest who will be squashed under the foot of Jesus in his time. So have peace in that promise. See, the glorious gospel provides us with a victory that is over sin, that is over death, a victory over all of Satan's schemes. It's a victory that is sure because it rests in the hand of an all-capable, all-powerful, unmatched, undefeated God. It's high time the church remember that. Personally, it's high time I remember that. The gospel not only gives us glorious victory, but it gives us glorious grace as well. You all have to hurry up or I'll never finish. In the latter part of verse number 20, we see a standard and formal statement of comfort and encouragement. Right after that promise that God's going to crush Satan under his feet, what does he say? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And in the Greek, the intent is an ongoing grace. It's to be with you forever. So sandwiching the victory that we have in Christ is between peace and grace in Jesus. Someone wants to find grace in an alliterative form saying God's riches at Christ's expense. See, God in his unmatched love and his mercy for us provided Christ to give himself on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins. We were undeserving. We had no business approaching God. We had no business even coming to him and saying, would you please be merciful to me, a sinner? Yet because of his love and his grace, through Jesus Christ, we have that ability to do that. See, this is God's grace that a sinner can find forgiveness. This is God's grace that rebels can find redemption and it is also god's grace that death that the dead can find life and that the slave can be made free. We don't deserve any of that. Sinners don't deserve forgiveness, but we're offered it in Jesus name. God's riches at Christ's expense. You know what it cost for that sin to be forgiven? The life of Jesus Christ. One, God's one and only son. Rebels can find redemption. Rebels don't deserve a second chance. You know what it cost? It cost Jesus, who didn't deserve to die, to die for us. Once again, we need to be reminded that the glorious nature of the gospel is that when I could not come to where he was, Jesus came to me. That's grace. That when I couldn't come, when I was paralyzed in my sin, Jesus, the God and creator and sustainer of everything, came running to me. This is the glorious gospel of grace. Grace that goes with us. Grace that never ends. And grace that we don't deserve. And it's not just a one-time hit of grace. Grace at salvation means grace that carries us all the way through our life. Some of us, we need to be reminded that grace is not just my ticket into heaven. Grace is the, it's just the the purveying status of my life. We live under grace. Grace. Every day, it's a grace that never ends. So the gospel gives us glorious victory. It also gives us glorious grace, but it also provides us with a glorious partnership. This is what we see in verses 21 through, 20, uh, through 24. We see Paul talk about these other people that are around him. Because of the gospel, because of the grace that goes with us, we have a partnership with Christ, the Holy Spirit that lives within inside of us. So we have a partnership with God Almighty but we also have a partnership with his family too. Look at verse 21. Timothy, my coworker, Lucius, Jason, Sosa Potter, my fellow countrymen greet you. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and the whole church greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer and our brother Cordus greet you. Last Sunday, we saw Paul make these personal remarks about all of the people that were in Rome. Now, he begins to make personal remarks of those who were with him in Ephesus. When we see that list of names, we learn a little bit about the kind of people that Paul ran with. Timothy is the Timothy you're thinking about. First and second Timothy, it's him. He's the main elder or the pastor there at the church in Ephesus where Paul is at while Romans is being written. Lucius is really unknown, not a whole lot is said about him. A lot of people believe that this is just the Latin form of Luke. And if it is, then that would be the Luke who wrote the Gospel of Luke and also the Dr. Luke who wrote the book of Acts. Jason probably gave Paul some hospitality and a place to stay when he was in Thessalonica. Sosipater is mentioned as being a man from Berea and accompanied Paul in Acts chapter 20. Tertius, it says, was the writer of Romans. And say, okay, I thought Paul was the writer. Paul is the writer. Paul is the one who God gave the words to write, but he dictated them to a man named Tertius. Paul had a horrible eye disease and some other ailments that kept him many times from being able to put pen to paper and write things for people to be able to read legibly. Paul had horrible handwriting. Let's just say that, okay? So he grabbed a guy named Tertius and he said, "Hey, can you write this legibly so people can see?" So people can see in, the, in Rome, and that's what Tertius was there for. Gaius is probably the same Gaius that is noted in, in Third John to be so hospitable and is also hosting Paul while he's there in Ephesus. And Erastus is the city treasurer. Here's, here's what we get from this. Paul is mentioned as being probably, when you think about the hall of fame of people in the Bible, Paul's right up there, especially in the New Testament. We have 75% of the New Testament because of Paul. Great missionary, planted churches throughout Asia Minor. Many of what, I mean, just about what we, what we do today uh, as believers in Christ today, thousands of years later have to do with the Apostle Paul. But the Apostle Paul wouldn't be the Apostle Paul Without the Timothys and the Tertiuses and the Gaiuses and all those people. Here's what we get at. The gospel unites us into a partnership with one another. This is why the church is important. This is why we need one another. This is why the word tells us to be kind to one another. This is why the the word tells us to uh, look favorably upon one another. To give each other grace. Because the gospel is an extreme work. And it needs a good partnership together. So the gospel gives us this wonderful partnership not to mention the partnership that we have with the Holy Spirit who Jesus said, I'll give you a comforter after I'm gone and who will lead you and guide you. The gospel also gives us a glorious strength. told you I'd be moving fast through these points. This goes right along with that glorious victory that we have. There'd be no assured victory if there wasn't an unmatched power from God. We couldn't have hope of victory if we didn't have the assurance of his power to provide it. Look at verse number 25. It says, now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel. Who do you think the him is there that is able to strengthen us? The him there is God, particularly the Holy Spirit. See, in this closing praise, we've seen the mention of God the Father, right? The peace of God. We've seen Jesus mentioned as well. Now we see the enabling power of the Holy Spirit and the function of the Holy Spirit as well. In the book of Acts, we see Jesus talking to his disciples before ascending into heaven in Acts chapter 1. And he promises them that when he leaves, the Holy Spirit will come and will give them power for this great victory that they're going to win in the gospel. He says, I'm going to give you power when I leave. And in in Acts chapter 1, verse number 8, it says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So not only are we promised victory, we're promised the power for that victory. You know what that means? That means we just rest in the grace of the gospel. And we walk faithfully where he sends us. And he provides us the victory. So we're promised the power of the Holy Spirit to bear witness. You may be sitting there right now say, but I don't feel like his power is necessarily flowing through me right now. It's definitely not showering down on my life. I've been asking for him to show me strength. I've been asking for him to show me wisdom. I've been asking for him to show me guidance for a while. And I feel like all of the fountain is just turned off coming down from heaven right now. I was talking with someone this week and we were discussing how difficult it can be to praise God when it feels like he's silent or when the answers to our prayers are No. I struggle with no, don't you? Never have like that word no. Right? But you know what? Something just like we sang just a moment ago that God is so good. He's so good. Here's what that means, that even his no's are good. His no's are better than the yeses that we want that we don't need. That means that we can trust him and we can trust his power that even if he says, no, I won't do that right now, the fact that he is powerful enough to do it should he choose means I'm on the right team. The gospel is power. Back in Romans chapter one, remember what he said in verse number 16? For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? Because it is the power of God unto salvation. This message, this message that we preach every Sunday When I get to stand up and say, God loves you and he gave his son for you and if you would trust in him, he would save you. This message is power. It's not how I deliver it. It's the message itself that is power. It's not how you deliver it. It's the message itself that is power. The only way that we hold back the power of the gospel is by not sharing the gospel. So we're called into this partnership to get the gospel out far and wide. And when we withhold the gospel, we withhold power to change the world. God forbid. God, listen, God forbid we ever get to the place. Where we get used to. Or we get underwhelmed by the miracle. Of a lost sinner finding grace in Jesus Christ. That should get us excited. It causes heaven to throw a party every time. What does it do to us? Do you realize the power. Sometimes we have to be reminded of the power. That it takes to save us. It took the God of this universe wrapping himself in flesh, leaving heaven to come to earth to bear all the sin of humanity on his shoulders. It was so gruesome and grotesque a sight when Jesus was on the cross that his own father turned his back on his only son because the sight was so hideous and gruesome. There was a power so great that when the redemption work was done, an earthquake tore through the land and the skies were dark and the temple veil rent in half. It was a power that literally shook the world when Jesus did the work of redemption. It was a power so great that when Jesus rose from the grave, it moved a boulder and it knocked out two elite Roman assassins. It's a power so great that it has reached the vilest sinner and cleansed them to be white as snow in the eyes of God. It's a power so great that it's been doing it for centuries and millennia and will continue to do it until God returns. It's a power that will live long after us. The beauty of this, it's also a power that invites us in to be part of it. And many times what we do is we struggle with that. I'm too busy for that or I'm too shy for that or I'm too... We find excuses not to engage in that. This is why we sing that song, there is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of Jesus. It's a power that stays with you and that we live in every day. The gospel as well gives us a glorious proclamation. Number five. The gospel gives us a glorious proclamation. Look at the last part of verse number 25. He says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the proclamation about Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery that has been kept silent for long ages but now revealed and made known through the prophetic scriptures. Note this, when Paul says that it's his gospel, he's not claiming a copyright on it. Just because he wrote Romans to explain the gospel thoroughly doesn't mean he's saying it's mine. He's saying it's mine because it's what's personally affected and changed him. That he has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, who is the good news of the gospel. When we say this, it's our gospel as well. Let me ask you a question. Is the gospel something that you own? Do you possess it? Is it something that you can say, this is my gospel. This is the best part of me. This is the best news that I can share. Because that's what gospel means, right? It means the good news. When we get together with friends and family and we start sharing stuff, we start sharing news and what's going on, you say, well, what's new with you, right? What if you just said, well, let me tell you the goodest news that's news with me and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. may send them running, I don't know. But the thing is, do you honestly believe that the gospel is the best part of who you are? If you're a child of God. When we do, it makes a difference in how we approach things. See, we see that the gospel is at its core, it's the proclamation of Jesus Christ. This is why it's good news. Again, a gospel that doesn't include Jesus isn't the gospel. And a gospel that needs a a savior that has to be helped out by good works or by other things is not the gospel either because the gospel of Jesus Christ is he's the way, the truth, and life and no man comes to the Father but by him. This gives us a glorious proclamation. And it's the most glorious proclamation of all. Because in life, I don't know about you, there's a million and one hundred hoops to have to jump through in life, isn't there? You feel like a circus animal sometimes. You got to, you you apply for something here, you got to jump through all these hoops. You get, you try to go to school, you got to jump through all these hoops. You try to get people to like you. You got to jump through hoops. You got to constantly, here's here's what Jesus said. No hoops, just grace. It's just me. You don't need to go on for continuing education. You don't need to go on and continue your certification or anything like, renew your salvation like a driver's license. Once saved, always saved. This is a glorious proclamation that in Jesus Christ, I can be set free forever and I can have grace that never ends. That's a glorious proclamation. See, think back through the Old Testament, man. Think about thousands of years of struggle of God's people clinging to a promise that a Messiah would come and set up his glorious kingdom and and, and set them free. Years, decades, generations, centuries pass and nothing. Then God goes completely silent for 400 years. Empires rise and fall and dominate God's people. And it doesn't seem like God's working very fast at making good on his promise. Then one night in a little town called Bethlehem, a little baby cries in a stable and it breaks the silence and all of a sudden everything changes. God made good on his promise and what happens the proclamation that is made to shepherds all of heaven's angels begin to stand there and sing out praise glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill toward men and he says the Messiah has been born the one that you've waited for and they tell the shepherds to go to the stable and see the place where the Messiah has been born and what do the shepherds do after they leave that stable? The Bible says they go all throughout the village telling everyone what they had seen. The glorious proclamation that hope is here. After Jesus rose from the dead on Easter, Jesus rose from the dead, what happened? When Jesus appeared to Mary, he said to Mary, go and tell my disciples that I have risen. The glorious proclamation of the gospel. The first evangelistic gospel conversation happened when Mary walked into that room and told Peter and James and John, Jesus is alive. Are you part of that glorious proclamation? Are you making that glorious proclamation in your life? Are we as a church, do we exist to make that glorious proclamation? And this is what leads to the last glorious condition of the gospel as well. Because we have a glorious gospel, we have a glorious commission. Not just a glorious proclamation, but we have a commission to make that proclamation everywhere. Look at verse number 26. It says, this mystery is now revealed and made known through the prophetic scriptures according to the command of the eternal God to do what? To advance the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles. Paul is reminding us of what Jesus said back in Matthew before he ascended into heaven to go and tell the world, to go and make disciples, to advance the gospel everywhere. This is a commission that we go into all the world and advance the gospel. And may I say this? I've said this a million times. This is not the great suggestion, this is the great commission. It's a command, it's what we're told to do as believers. So let me ask you a question this morning as we prepare to close out this entire series. That last verse right there, he said, to the only wise God be glory forever. This is the way we glorify God. We live by the glorious gospel and we share the glorious gospel. Are you ad- how are you advancing the gospel? How are you advancing the gospel in your world, in your circle of influence? So I don't know how to begin with that. Let me give you one thing you can do. Begin praying right now. God, I want to advance the gospel. That is a prayer that God will always answer yes. He'll say, all right, you want opportunities? I'll give you some opportunities. And then as he gives you those opportunities, begin to just kind of walk into those. You say, well, I don't know if I'm prepared. What if I stumble over the words? What if I, listen, God promised all that's gonna be taken care of. He's going to equip you because you've been given glorious power. What if they say no? What if they turn it out? They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting Jesus. And know this. You've been given glorious victory. This is the beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ. We must share it. The gospel and the glory of God is the chief end of humanity. That's what the catechism reminds us of. So the question I ask this morning as we close out is are you glorifying him in your life, Romans 1 all the way through 16 has been just this path to glorifying God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Think back over that. What, what are the things that God really kind of grabbed hold of you as we walked through this book? Those might be the areas that God is saying, hey, give me glory in this. Maybe it's a, a, a fear or you're afraid of giving him faith in an area. Glorify him by giving your faith. Maybe you haven't come to a place yet where you say, I don't know if I can trust him for my eternity. We can't glorify Him until we look to Him as our only hope. If you don't know Christ as your Savior today, come today and be saved. Be made new by Him. But as we bow our heads and as we close our eyes this morning, if God is speaking to you, maybe you need to rededicate your life. Maybe there's somebody that God has laid on your heart that, that, that you work with at school or that you're, you know, whatever. Maybe it's somebody that you live with. You say, I need to be more about sharing the gospel. Or maybe as a home, maybe as a family, you're saying, you know what? We we need to let the gospel just pervade everything. Maybe it's a time of just committing, Lord, help me to be more about the gospel than I've ever been before. Heavenly Father, do your work in our lives today as we respond to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. As we stand today, if you need to come for any reason to pray or Somebody's laid God's laid somebody on your heart or maybe you need to just talk about salvation or taking just steps in your faith, whatever reason, whatever reason would you come today? Thank you for listening today. At Graceway, our strongest desire is to glorify Christ by telling everyone about His grace. If you have questions or are in need of spiritual help, please reach out to us by visiting www.gracewaylex.org click on the contact us section or you can email us at gracewaylex@gmail.com. at gmail.com our worship services are held each sunday at 10:30 a.m we'd love to worship with you this week until next time take care and walk in the way of grace